Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job or told that person in high school how much you liked them? Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Before we start today's episode, I have some really exciting news to announce. Sliding Doors is going live. On Sunday, the 11th of September at 7pm, I will be hosting a live podcast event at the Times Life Lesson Festival. I'll be interviewing the brilliant Kelvin and Liz Fletcher and would love to see you all there. It's in King's Cross, and if you go to the event website, Sliding Doors listeners can get 10% off their entry ticket with the discount code DISCO10. I can't wait to see you all there. Now, on with today's episode. My guest today is Lucy Cave. Lucy is an award-winning editor and journalist with over 15 years' experience in the media and is currently the Chief Content Officer for Bauer Media, responsible for driving market-beating, award-winning content series and campaigns across their extensive portfolio. She graduated from the University of Sheffield with a degree in English Literature and her career started as a TV presenter for Trouble TV. 
She has been at the forefront of an era-defining moment in pop culture and has personally helped create cultural impact through PRable campaigns and interviews. Lucy has led teams within some of the UK's biggest media brands, including Grazia, Magic Radio and Closer, and is a former editor-in-chief at Heat magazine. As if that wasn't enough, she is also a best-selling ghostwriter, radio host and has spearheaded Bauer Media's mental health campaign, Where's Your Head At?, in partnership with Mental Health First Aid England. Lucy is married to Ben and has two lovely children, Ridley and Piper. And with all her amazing experience, I'm so excited to delve into her life, stories and moments. So welcome to Sliding Doors, Lucy. Thank you. What an introduction. God, it sounds mad when you when you hear your life flashing before you like that. I mean, I had to like edit that down. There was so much I could have included in there. Um, and I'm really excited to chat to you because I'm excited to kind of relive all of the kind of pop culture moments you've been of. You've very much been a part of things that I've grown up with in my life. And one thing to start off with, Trouble TV was my favourite. Oh, did you like it? I loved it. It was like Fresh Prince, Sweet Valley yeah, High. Yeah, all of um, it. Oh, I ended up in a, I was in an episode of Sweet Valley High. Were once. you? Oh my God, <laughs> I loved it all so, so. And I think that's where I actually recognised you from very, very early on. And I wanted to start by asking, you were quite young when you started that job. So how did that first kind of gig even come about for you? So I went to university in Sheffield and I think quite quickly I decided I wanted to work in the media in some shape or form. So when I was there, I was like, you know, you you never really know how you're going to get your gig. But I just did work experience everywhere I could. So smash hits. I kind of wrote for the university newspaper, which is called Darts. And that was when like. I just, TV was just, you know, I just wanted to work in TV, I think I decided. And I I worked for like, uh, did work experience for, there was some Sheffield news channel I was following a news reporter around. Then I moved to London um, in the big smoke. And I literally remember just sitting down and fo- had this sort of media directory, yeah. just phoning everyone, just asking if they would take me for work experience. And then I landed on this channel, which was called TCC. Um, which was the children's channel. Yes, and I remember was, that as well. I remember that. And that yes. was like, that was back before, like you'd think now you've got so many different channels and it seems so weird when you're looking like Netflix, all these streaming platforms. And back then it was like the main terrestrial channels and then there was starting to emerge and it was called Cable and Satellite. Yeah, because we were one of the first people that I remember to get Sky TV and Nickelodeon and like it was a whole new world. Yeah, but there wasn't that many of them. And so TCC was a children's channel. So that was like a young kids channel. And I ended up just getting work experience there. Um, and that was amazing. And then I saw some of the presenters and I was like, I want to do that. And I remember going up to the CEO. It's so funny how you're just so brazen when you're a certain so age. So ballsy and, when you're and younger. You, you, just think, you, you literally think you can do anything. And I really think people should bottle that and try and not let that get sort of knocked out of them. But I marched up to the CEO of this whole big sort of channel and said, hi, um, I really like to be a presenter, but I also want to work behind the scenes because I decided I wanted to do both. And she was like, well, you need, she said, we well, need to decide. And I thought, why? <laughs> but she, she said, well, if you want to be a presenter, you can do a screen test. And she gave me a screen test and I remember the screen test was actually live on TV. Really? (laughs) Yeah and I remember my mum watching going and she said close your legs next time (laughs) see your pants and uh, and that was that and that was just doing the links in between the shows so that was in between some of and then it evolved and trouble was the youth 
brand of TCC. So TCC was a bit younger and then it was trouble and then the rest was history. Oh my God, it's amazing. And it was, I mean, I just love that era and I think there's nothing like it now. It's it's a whole different, it's like a different world. And I guess you've spoken a bit about how you did English Lit at uni and you knew after then you kind of wanted to go into media, but what was the kind of the younger dream for Lucy? Did you, were you always kind of, I'm guessing you like loved reading because most people that get into media were good with books when they were younger uh, yeah I loved reading but I also really loved drawing actually and ah. I at one point I wanted to be a fashion designer oh, but I couldn't same draw with me. I could but that's just because I also like clothes yeah, I exactly I just thought I'd just get free clothes and get yeah. to go to nice things so it was kind of I was always I guess more sort of um veering towards the arts and creative industries but yeah I just loved I loved writing and, and reading and you know I've got quite a big imagination I think and then and it ended up that I just loved I loved asking people questions and it's just being being nosy I think ultimately which I still have to this day and I think it's that sort of curious side understanding people understanding what makes them tick um and trying to sort of turn that into something so yeah it was but it's you know it's not very clear cut when you're a certain age you don't really know what's out there in terms of what opportunities there are but I'm glad I had the balls to just, you know, put my name down for things and apply for all sorts of, you know, work experience. And then, and and I was lucky that I ended up where I was. Definitely. And I think from, we've had a few kind of people in this industry on the podcast and they all say, you've got to get that first foot in the door, but to even get to that point is so, so hard. And you've got to have your sliding doors moments, have those kind of, but also put the hard work in behind it to kind of get there. Yeah, I do believe uh, that you you can make your own destiny to a certain extent in that you have to work hard and you have to put yourself out there and say yes to a lot of things. Yeah. And then you never know where that's going to lead in terms of paths. I also believe that there is sort of some sort of higher divining force that's kind of going to set your path out for you. But I think unless you, unless you're open to lots of yeah. experiences, then I, then, then you might shut yourself off to where you're meant to be going. Of course. And I mean, you're, Job now, I mean, the title just sounds so overwhelming when I say it out loud. I'd love to understand what does kind of a day in the life of Lucy look like at the moment? So a day in the life of me is really varied, which I love. Um, So chief content officer means I sort of sit across all of our brands and we've got loads of different brands at Bauer. So we've got obviously our publishing brand, so Heat, Grazia, Closer, Empire. And then obviously we've got our radio side, which is Magic, Kiss, Scala, uh, Absolute Radio. Obviously I'm not sort of running any of those brands day to day, but I sort of liaise with the content directors and the editorial directors of those brands and looking at the sort of bigger vision for them in terms of any sort of campaigns they they feel are important to their audience or any commercial partnerships. So I sort of also sit in the commercial partnerships team. So if a brand comes in and they've got money to spend and want to reach a certain audience, then it's kind of down to me and some of my team to help them come up with an idea that is going to reach that audience in a way that doesn't feel like you're just selling yeah. to them. So it's great for me. And the reason I went across to the dark side of commercial is more because from a heat perspective, when I used to be a heat editor, you know, but editorial budgets are not what they once were. You, I yeah. used to be able to go, oh, can we do this? And be like, yeah, go off to LA and then yeah, do Paris Hilton yeah. and you can do this. <laughs> and now, and you know, it's just, it's tight. Your budgets are cut. You don't get to do all those sort of things. You don't have the luxury of experimenting, but brands have audiences they want to reach. And if, if you can align where that brand is with what you know your audience wants, yeah. then then that's kind of where 
where you can have most impact and do some really creative things. Definitely. And I always see you popping up on these TV shows. I think <laughs> I even saw you on one last night where it's like the most shocking celebrity moments and oh. all stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, you know what's what... bad about those is that I haven't done any of them for ages. And the problem is you don't, they wheel them out. Like yeah, they do. Out. And, and, and I, I saw one and I'll be, I'll be listening and I'll just hear my voice. I've got quite a distinct voice and I'll just be like, oh, what am I saying now? And it's like Sunday like, night at 11 p.m. No, it's like, oh God, it's me again. I no, forgot but, about that one. But I love it because you know what, like, I think the whole, I mean, I used to get smash hits delivered every week and that whole era. And I feel like you've been such a, amongst kind of that culture and music royalty and pop royalty. And I guess I want to ask you two questions. The first one is what is the craziest thing that's ever happened to you within everything you've done in your career? Oh, the craziest thing. God, there's been so many different crazy things. Well, I mean, getting invited to James Corden's wedding was quite crazy in that he literally, it was wall-to-wall celebrities. Amazing. And, you know, I don't, I go, like, my husband was with me and he went in the toilet and it's like, he, he said it was just really surreal because he was at the arena with, like, Tom Daly and Matt Smith and Doctor Who and then Vernon Kay and then <laughs> Harry Styles from One Direction and it was just nuts. So I guess, and that came about from you know, being friends with him that developed through just us at, when I was at Heat, sort of recognising that he was an up-and-coming talent before he... I mean, look at he him did, now. Yeah, oh my can't, God. I can't take credit for that. <laughs> it's all where you. He, where he's gone. But, you know, it was back when he he and um, Matt Horn were doing um, Big Brother's Big Mouth. Yeah. Uh, which was the sort of, you know, the obviously the sort of sideshow to Big Brother. They did that. Then they did Gavin and Stacey. And then I persuaded James to do a photo shoot um, where he recreated uh, infamous... Um, Armani shoot that David Beckham did so he was oh, I naked. remember that um, and we we did that for Heat and it literally went everywhere it still follows yeah. him around to this day oh, but bet. it meant it meant that we became quite good mates and probably because I'd known him from early on so I think that's that was the beauty of working at somewhere like Heat which was responsible for you know spotting talent and saying you're going to be you know this is the person to watch and then Definitely. I guess a lot of those people sort of you know give you credit for that and then you you know them for quite a long time afterwards but yeah, yeah. that was a really sort of surreal pinch me moment that when it was all tour celebs and also torso of the week and heat magazine i remember that very well was it torso, torso of, the week? of the week yeah torso of the week that's still running torso of the oh week. yeah <laughs> i remember when we and one of the funniest one of the funniest stories about torso of the week was when uh tony blair was um running for his second term i think in um in the election and we put him as torso of the week because we Did just you? thought it'd be a funny thing to do. <laughs> and he, um, I remember watching the news when he was doing his, you know, when they go on tour around yeah, the country yeah, yeah. and someone was getting, people were waving copies of heat <laughs> for him to sign as torso of the week. It was so hilarious. That is amazing. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And then I want to flip it and kind of ask you, what's your proudest moment? So what are you personally proud of, of all the things that you've done in your career so far? So I guess I'm probably proudest of the sort of campaigning side that I've um, worked on in terms of how we've used our brands as a force for good. Um, you know, obviously entertaining people and doing mad stuff is it does one thing, yeah. but it's not really, you know, it's not saving lives and it's not necessarily helping people. But I think 
we've been able to put our brands to good, you know, when it comes to sort of mental health. We've had a mental health campaign that I initiated. We've also done something around women's safety. And it's just being able to use all of our brands, knowing that they're hugely influential, but also using their voice for good and being Mm -hmm. our audience's mouthpiece and supporter and trying to campaign for issues that we know are really important to them. So I guess that probably means the most to me. No, but I think it's the, it's the mixture of everything. And as you say, I think we all need entertainment in our lives. But if you can then use the platform for kind of larger, bigger impact stuff, that's brilliant as well. And before we go on to talking about moments, I mean, I'm guessing you're a fan of the film Sliding Doors. I'm hoping yes, you are. Okay, yes. great. So I wanted to ask what are kind of, you've touched on it briefly, but what are your beliefs around the theory of sliding doors, around catching the tube, missing the tube, and that one moment, you know, defining your life and do you believe I mean you said it you believe in kind of the being open to opportunities but do you think it's fate do you think our paths are laid out for us or do you think kind of we have more choice I think there's several different paths that are laid out for us Mm -hmm. and I think that depending on where you are at a certain moment can dictate which path you go down. So I I firmly believe in fate and and I believe in the concept of sliding doors, but I think there's several different ones and it just depends where you are at any moment. Because it's like when people talk about how, you know, people meet people and they're like, it was just wrong time, wrong place. And I think that if that happened at a different time, then that would have then been right. But I believe things, I do believe things happen for a reason and moments happen. I like, I mean, I love, I love spirituality and I, yeah. I always used I always used to go to psychics when I was younger, but mainly really? just to, mainly just to tell me that I was gonna meet uh, a husband at some point so I could <laughs> so, so I could carry on getting pissed. So I yeah. could just It'll carry on one day. I was like then I didn't have to worry about it because you've got exactly. I've got friends who are like, oh, I've got to go out and find my husband and they'd be obsessed with it. And I just thought, at least if it's if someone tells me yeah. it's gonna happen at some point, then I'll be then I kind of le- leave it to fate. But as yeah. long but like I said, I think you've still got to have experiences, say yes to things, go out there and do as much as possible. Otherwise, you're not going to, things aren't going to happen if you're just sat at home doing yeah, nothing. Yeah, you, you've got to open yourself up. And I like your your theory and thoughts around that when we can meet people at the wrong time. And as you say, I do still, I think that's a really good point to make is, is that, that sometimes it's right time, wrong place or wrong place, yeah. right time and that type of thing. And, you know, we never know, will we get that again or a different time? And, um, oh yeah, I'm very much with you and the psychic stuff, a hundred percent. You just want to know that it's all sorted, but just how I get there might differ. Yeah, and yeah exactly. It's where it takes me. You can just enjoy yourself and carry exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we'll go into your moments and your first one. I mean, I feel like this is going to be a lot to chat about. Sneaking into Leonardo DiCaprio's after party for the beach premiere led to me working at Heat magazine a few years later. And you say if you hadn't have worked there, you'd never have, one, interviewed Jay Goody and become her ghostwriter and confidant, and also met your husband, Ben, who was on Shipwrecked, and you interviewed him for the magazine. Yeah. So, I mean, where to even start with this? I mean, it's, it's such a big one. And I think for me, it's talking about how you sneaked into the party (laughs) what were you doing how was it was Leonardo DiCaprio there um tell us kind of where this kind of pinpoint moment started for you 
So this was when I was a presenter on Trouble TV. So um, I had been invited to the premiere of The Beach um, by a friend of mine who did loads of kind of celebrity parties and events. Yeah. And um, so I got invited to the after party, which was amazing. And it was on so many different levels in this big warehouse. And each floor was kind of done like a scene from The Beach. So oh one was God. kind of The Beach, one was the kind of foresty bit. It yeah. was just surreal and mad and so much money had been pumped I was going to say. I mean, back in the days when budgets were thrown around back in the day when everyone was hedonistic and you just spent loads of money on stuff so the bit I sneaked into was the VIP area where Leonardo was hanging out with all the celebrities Um, and me and my friend managed to sneak in there just pretending that we'd been invited I don't know how we sort of sidled in and then when we were in there I used to really fancy Leonardo let me just make this point and I obviously decided that but I my my way of um, getting noticed by him was by playing hard to get, by basically ignoring him. And that didn't <laughs> as we all work. do. That as didn't girls. actually work. <laughs> um, but I remember there was a guy. So he started. Leonardo was leaving, and as he was leaving, one of his kind of guys who was obviously with him was just literally went round the party and went, "Do do you want to come back to Leonardo's after party at the Four Seasons Hotel? I think it was, or some. I can't remember what it was, but it was it was come back to Leonardo's after party in this hotel." Um, and, and so I was like, really? And he basically, I realised he was just gathering up girls to go to so, yeah, the party. And did you play it cool or were you like, uh, I, yeah, yeah I think there. I was in, uh, yeah, I, I went, yeah, yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> and then, then, then obviously I went straight yeah. afterwards. Um, so me and my friend got there and I remember going into the foyer of the hotel and I, and my, I heard this, Lucy, what are you doing? And it was my friend, this guy called Dan Wakeford who um, who I knew from just going partying. And he just got a job at The Sun. And he was basically in the foyer. He knew the party was going on. And it was him and a few other journalists, all male journalists. And he was like, he, he's only invited women up there. Yeah. And he said, and I've been sent to try and, um, you know, to try and get a story. And he was like, if you see anything, anything at all, please just tell me, just phone me afterwards. And I was like, yeah, okay. Just went in there, not even knowing what a story was if it hit me in the yeah. eye because I was just, you know, I was just a presenter. Anyway, went into the party and it was just wall-to-wall celebrities again. And um, I, Mick Hucknell was in there, I remember just following him around. It was really weird. Oh just kept, it was really, so really just kept following him around, telling him how much he loved him. I think I at one point was talking to Leonardo DiCaprio without realising I was talking to him because he had this cap on, but there was a big group of us. He yeah. did, still didn't notice me. Yeah. And then I remember he it was in this massive suite and me and my friend were obsessed with taking pictures in his, in his bathroom and like rummaging through his, his wash bag for some strange reason. <laughs> and then, and then... And then I remember All Saints were in there and I knew them from my trouble days. So I was chatting to them. Oh, yeah, because they sang the song, Pure Shores. Yeah, they yes. sang the song. So they were in there. And then time went on, la, 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 la. And I remember him and um, Leonardo and Nick, Nicole Appleton went into the toilet for a while. Um, and then I remember going home about five in the morning and then going, oh, I need to, I need to, ta- I need to find my friend. I forgot. Oh, what am I gonna- so I, I phoned him, leaving this long-winded message, message going. Oh yeah, so Mick Hucknell was following Leonardo Brown. I was taking pictures in this, all this stuff that he clearly wasn't interested in. Yeah. And then I said, oh, and then at one point he went into the bathroom with Nicole for like they were in there for about twenty minutes. That was that. Didn't think any more of it. Next day, front page of the Sun: Nicole Appleton and Leonardo's <laughs> bathroom <laughs> tryst. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, that was me. I said that. Um, and, you know, genuinely they were in there. So I guess, but I, it was my Time first time and I'd basically just kind of done this scoop without realising. Yeah. And um, Dan was like, this is amazing. You have literally made my career. 
career yeah. I put my first front page splash and then a few months later he started working at Heat magazine and Heat oh. was this new magazine and he was working on the news desk and then he kept, then he basically said to me come to Heat magazine because I think he thought I was going to bring in loads of news scoops you're like um, the gossip queen I wasn't um and then anyway I I was I'd been at trouble for a long time and then I just thought I needed that was my first job and it was brilliant but I thought I I can't do this forever without yeah. it wasn't didn't I knew it wasn't a proper career and obviously I'd been to university I wanted to do something a bit more meaty so I went over to Heat still wanted to do keep the presenting going but I just got freelance there for a little bit on the news desk and it was then called news and stuff I was mainly stuff as it stuff. as, as Dan <laughs> learned I wasn't really full of celebrity yeah. scoops that was a kind of one-off it was mainly writing about celebrities dressed up no people dressed up as celebrity lookalikes that was that was our main fodder oh my god um and then yeah so I started working at heat and then that was that was my first kind of proper job and then that's when I got to know Jade Goody because obviously yeah. heat, heat and big brother I think the success and the phenomenon of heat and celebrity culture went hand in hand with the rise mm-hmm. of big brother they both and it was of, before social media and everything wasn't it yeah I mean when I look back on that I always think how when the contestants would come out of the house and there would be people sort of shouting their name or or booing them, that was really like... It was a big social, thing then, yeah. It's kind of social media in your face. Yeah. So it's like you look at all the banners that people would have. That's kind of... When they were being rude about people, that was almost trolling but to your face. Definitely. And I think, I think it, it was of a certain time and, and it was a bit more... You know, the, the stars or the, you know, the reality stars were kind of more protected in a way because... They, yes, it was there and it was all loud, but it was once they went home, they could switch it off. It wasn't there anymore. Just don't and I read remember the paper if they don't want to. Exactly. And I remember um, Davina used to say in their ear, look, it's all pantomime, it's all pantomime. And and it kind of was back then. And and the way we wrote about it was it was sort of this over kind of inflated, it was all mad and, you know, hyper real. And I think then social media came along and that sort of really changed things. But yeah, from I, I obviously met and interviewed every single Big Brother housemate known to man. I used to go down to the house when they were evicted. It was like the most exciting time. I loved it. It, Honestly, I I remember, even what you're saying, I remember with Helen and Paul staying up till three in the morning if they were even going to like kiss on the lips. And like now, it's like people like kissing like on the first night of Love Island and it's like a nothing thing, but it was so big. It was so exciting, and I and, and with on Helen and Paul, we um, heat. We I remember we got the first interview with them Did when they you? came out, the joint That's interview, that. and it was such a big deal that News of the World, which was around at the time, we had to um, put them in this blackout blacked out car to take them to the photo shoot. News of the World were like following, and oh then God. they were trying to scale the wall of the studio that we were in when we were doing yeah. the photo shoot, and the, their agent had basically because they it was of a time when you could sort of siphon off different parts of it, of the interview so we had the first interview with them then they were yeah. going to do an exclusive with the sun or whatever and i think in our photo shoot we wanted them to kiss and to have their first kiss and their agent was like no 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 you're not going to have the kiss because i can sell the kiss to the sun or something else so she was like you can just have them together and then we our deputy editor at the time basically whispered to the photographer we're going to get that kiss and he's he took the agent off into the kitchen to pretend to talk to her about something else and then meanwhile <laughs> they got this the first kiss on camera and it was just like it went everywhere it was Amazing. like that was front page of the tabloids yeah. and, and it was just this moment where everyone was obsessed with the same thing and everyone was talking about these people who became famous overnight and 
it was just their sort of charm and their relatability and their, you know, they were, and it just, it was hand in hand with the whole Blair era in, you know, in government and meritocracy and everyone being able to do anything and this kind of, this, there was a real optimism then, I think, that people could be anyone they wanted to Mm -hmm. be, do anything they wanted to do. And so it all kind of happened in this big crescendo at the same time. And so Big Brother was a really exciting time. And obviously Jade, for us, was, you know, was the biggest star. Um, And I think people look back on Big Brother and she's always going to be the the biggest star that came out of Big Brother. So we did loads of stuff with her, you Mm -hmm. know, interviews and... I got to know her really well. And then she did a, a, an autobiography and I was asked to ghostwrite her book. Um, so can you so explain that- very quickly what ghostwriting is for people that don't understand it, i.e. me a little bit? So ghostwriting is essentially you interview that celebrity and you basically get everything about their life, all their memories, any stories, everything that you can kind of rinse out of them as, yeah. a, as a writer and as an interviewer. And then you turn that into a book in their voice. So mm-hmm. the key to ghostwriting is you're not just writing about a celebrity, you are writing as that celebrity. So yeah. it's quite, a, it's, I mean, I'd like to say it's quite an art, but yeah. it's quite, um, yeah. I think to get their voice, you know, is really important because you've got to, if anyone's reading it, they're reading it and they want to have that, they want it to feel like it's them. But yeah. obviously someone like Jade or Joe Essex's book I also did, they're not really very literate. So yeah, you need to, you there's a fine side. balance between making it sound like them and making it it makes sense, but you don't yeah. want it to be too over. It's got to be in their voice. Yeah. Um, and she had such an amazing story. And I mean, I think there was a brilliant um, article that I read uh, recently that some book reviewer basically said that out of all the books he's reviewed over the last twenty years, he thought that Jay Goody was up there with Dickens because he because of her sort of story. I think because she yeah. she'd been through such poverty. You know, her dad was a heroin addict. Her mum was like, you know, uh, uh, you know, her mum was kind of a petty criminal who mm-hmm. used to sort of leave her on her own. Yeah. She sort of cared for her mum. She had such such a crazy upbringing that she, you know, for her to have kind of managed to achieve what she did was was quite incredible and she wore her heart on her sleeve and she was you know she was not perfect by any means but she kind of owned it and definitely. I think she was a, she was definitely a certain sort of caliber of of celebrity she was and was that the first time you did do ghostwriting and was that kind of the spark that then you carried on doing it yeah, it was. I mean, I didn't even know where to start because I'd obviously just written for Heat magazine and and it was quite a weird one as well for a stop writing for a magazine that's writing about celebrities and then yeah. writing, then knowing all the intimate secrets about this celebrity. It was quite, a, um, it's quite a fine line to tread of because course. I basically knew loads of stuff about her. She had to trust that I wasn't then going to take it back to yeah. the editor. And it made it, but it somehow it worked and she did trust me. And I mean, I had to... I mean, the editor obviously knew not to ask me any questions about Jade and I wasn't, you know, I would, which, you know, but it was great for the relationship with the brand anyway. But yeah, yeah I, I just thought, where do you, I didn't know where to start. And I just remember just getting her to talk about her first memory and then off we went. And it's as you said before, it's, it's being open to opportunities because actually when you are, you realise you can be quite good at something you never would have thought. You know, you, know, you wouldn't have been like, yeah, I'm going to be a ghostwriter. It just kind of came to you and you said yes and actually you're really good at it and it's something that you can... I mean, do you still do it now or is it, how does it work now? So I've done um, I've done a few... I sort of pick... I'm quite picky about the ones I do now because obviously my job's pretty intense so yeah. and that takes up quite a lot of time. So I think for me, if it's somebody that I like and somebody that I think has got something about them and I feel like I 
I can do something interesting with them, then that's when I'll do it. So, because there was a time when any celebrity, whoever they were, were trying to do a book. And I think, you know, you still got to write 80,000 words yeah, and make it, you lot. want to make it, you want it to be a successful book. You want to be proud of, of it, and even if it's not your words. So, yeah. I think, you know, so I've done, I did Jade's or Jade's books, I did Joey Essex. That was quite a challenge, <laughs> uh, more because of his attention span than anything yes. else. So, um, and then I did Charlotte Crosby um, from Georgia Shore. I'm doing another one of hers, actually, because she's now having a baby. And then Danny Dyer, daughter from nice. Love Island. So you could say I've got quite a niche for myself. Yes, you do. type of but celebrity. It's brilliant. <laughs> Everyone needs their own little niche. And, yeah. <laughs> and I also want to chat about you meeting your husband, because it's like you've got one signed doors moment that birthed a million other signed doors moments. So um, another amazing flashback is shipwrecked that I used to sit and watch every Sunday morning um so how did that happen so you interviewed him for the magazine and then that's kind of how you guys got together so this was a real sliding doors moment so I remember I was features editor at the time this was in 2007 Mm -hmm. and uh, my editor at the time was was basically said because every week you'd have features would have a certain amount of sections in pages in the magazine yeah and we had like five pages to fill and it was like on the Monday and he was saying oh, what are we going to do what can we do what's everyone and it was real like that's when you just created stuff out of what people were watching what the conversations yeah. were and all the girls in the office were like oh let's do something on shipwreck because we're all watching everyone's obsessed with yeah it. and every girl in the office had someone that they fancied so we basically did five pages our top five shipwrecked hunks Mm-hmm. And the, each girl, one of the girls in the office had to choose which one they fancied and write about why. I wrote about a different one. <laughs> so my husband, now husband was not the hunk that I said oh, I was. But my great. friend who worked on the style desk, she wrote about my husband and she's now married to someone else. So it was yeah. all quite awkward. <laughs> so basically we wrote about our favourite and then we decided that we would give them each torso of the week um, for the next month. And then when they got out of Shipwrecked, I then went to interview our five hunks. So that's when I first met Ben. And I remember, um, I remember meeting. There was one the guy I fancy was called Stuart, I think. And I met him at the shoot, and he was just boring. He was pretty, yeah. but he was boring. And Ben was really funny and really charismatic, really making everyone laugh. And I just remember he was just really entertaining. But he was dating somebody else on the show at the time, so I didn't okay. even think anything of yeah. it. And he was nine years younger than me, so I definitely didn't think anything of it. And then, but then we chatted, and my flatmates now say that I came back talking about him. I can't really remember, but um, but then we uh, and then we sort of kept in touch. And I think I just bumped into him at different things like V Festival, different celebrity parties. He started asking me out, and I never took it very seriously because I because he was younger. I just thought mm-hmm. he was a bit of a player. Yeah. And I remember one. Um, one new year, I think I made a resolution not to date too many younger men. <laughs> but I'd already said I would go out with him. So I was like, oh, that he can be an last exception. One. That's yeah. fine. That's the last one. And then we went on this date and he didn't tell me where we were going. And then he picked me up and drove like 40 minutes outside London. And we went, it was in Windsor, I think. And basically we he booked us on a lover's leap bungee jump. And we were tied to the ankles. No. And we had to, the first thing we had to do when we sat down, we was, I had to write down my age and my weight because, <laughs> and I 
was like, great. Um, but we did a bungee jump and then went out, wow. got really pissed, and then that was the rest. That's amazing. <laughs> How brilliant. And also, I love the fact that you said he was like, oh, he's my exception, and then like actually never looked back, and that's it. And listen, when you get up, when I think that's what's hard these days with dating apps is when you have a connection with someone, age really like doesn't need to be a barrier because you obviously both like had a connection. That's what brought you together. And obviously, we all have hang ups if people are younger or older than us but actually you know it's it's what you can be together and I mean this moment is brilliant for so many different reasons because you can really pinpoint it back to kind of that you know if you've not snuck into the party if you've not got the job um you know if you've not written the story and said what yeah. you'd said late at night and rambled on about what was going on you know and, and you know your friend had to get the job at heat for that all to happen and I guess really thinking about it how different do you think your life would have been if you hadn't worked at heat because I think that's the thing that really kind of you know or I guess even had gone to the party at Leonardo's you know you would have still been at trouble um where do you think your life would be it's so interesting when you say that and quite scary really because mm. I'm you know I'm really happy with the way my life has gone even though in my head I think I probably thought oh my dream was always to, to be a tv presenter so I probably would have liked to have been like the next Claudia Winkleman or Davina yeah. Cole, but the chances of that happening would have been quite slim and so I think my my time at Trouble TV would have naturally come to an end because look Trouble TV isn't there anymore yeah um I might have ended up I probably would have tried to work behind the scenes in TV. So I might have gone, I might have gone down that route. And I could imagine that's probably the way it would have gone. But then I would have met completely different people. Who knows what I would have been working on if I was even working on, you know, something like that. Because I remember in, there was in between times with Trouble TV when when I wasn't working all the time. And I remember going and thinking, oh God, I've got to get I've got to pay my rent. And I think I mm -hmm. worked in a shop for a little bit. And that yeah. was quite a that was quite a leveler. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's really scary when you think about where that could have been or, you know, would I be married? I don't know. I might not have been married. I might not have even met the person you met anyone. So it's, yeah, it's yeah, quite it's weird. Mad. And it's also just, I just was even thinking like, even just the fact that you saw, um, Leonardo and was it Nicole go into the toilet? Yeah. Like even that, like it, it, that's one little thing that then like blew up into something else that I just, this is why I love the podcast because I just love thinking about those moments and we often don't think about them at the time, but we can look back and reflect on them. Um, yeah, it's spooky, isn't it? It's amazing. Um, I could talk about that moment the whole time, but we're going to have to get on with your next one, which is equally as good. Um, so you said, if you'd never had my bikini waxed at Avida opposite Heat Towers, I'd never chatted to the girl um, about my miscarriages and there would never have been put with Doc put in touch with Dr. How do you pronounce the name? Shiharta. Shiharta, who through immune therapy helped me have my two lovely kids, Ridley and Piper. So um, again, a brilliant pinpoint moment of how fate and meeting people in your life can kind of change everything. So explain how this was a sliding doors moment for you and how that meeting changed everything. So I can't remember what year it was, but I was um, I was still working at Heat and we'd all go over to Aveda, which was opposite where we'd get our bikini waxed or, or our facials done. I'd been married to... Um, no, I'd been with Ben uh, and we'd, we'd miscarried a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that that was, you know, that was kind of life. And obviously it was really disappointing. The first time it was kind of shocking because I think you don't expect it to happen the yeah. first time the second time you're kind of a bit more braced for it but obviously it's no 
it's not any sort of less sort of hard hitting or mm-hmm. or or sad but i i mean i'm quite an open person anyway so i just talk about stuff which i think kind of helps yeah. but so i um i'd go over to Aveda and there was a girl um called Gevi who i used to have my um facials with and she also did bikini waxing and i remember we were just talking and i I, I don't know why. I think she must have just sort of talked about kids. And so I told her that I'd had two miscarriages and she said, you need to go and see this doctor um, that she'd been recommended because she'd had four. And wow. she went to see this doctor, Dr. Shiata, who's who's got a clinic called the Miscarriage Clinic. And he'd helped women who, one woman he'd helped who'd had 17 miscarriages. And I, I mean, I don't even know why, how oh, you would even go through that, that to, yeah. to, keep, to keep trying and keep trying. But I went to see him. And he, um, it's private, so, you know, I had to pay. So I was fortunate that I could, I had some money that I could sort of pay to see him and have the treatment. But he believes that some women have natural killer cells, which essentially fight off the the sort of fetus in your womb, thinking mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, it's an illness, I guess. Um, yeah. And so then the, so the baby would never get to the point where you'd get, have a heartbeat so that was what was going on mm-hmm. um anyway I did loads of blood tests had this did I had to take um steroids and there was a this sort of immune therapy that I had to go through and then yeah and then I got pregnant obviously I was kind of worried until it got to a certain yeah. point and then yeah and had had a really healthy boy Ridley and then same again with Piper and actually I then wrote about it for Grazia because I wrote a blog um around my wedding and and kind of my relationship and I talked about it and it was amazing the amount of people who's kind of mm-hmm. said or knew someone who'd gone through it and I think yeah. it's such a thing that people don't always talk about aren't really open with because also at work you're not going to tell people it's you don't want to tell anyone at work you're pregnant and then you're not going to then say you've had a miscarriage so exactly. it's kind of such a hidden a hidden thing that a lot of people sort of suffer with in science and and I'm pleased to say that I've sent quite a few people to see him and they've all managed to have kids so again that then becomes a sliding doors moment for them if they exactly. hadn't read that or didn't know me then they might not have met him and that's the thing you just never know you never know what you're going to say will impact someone else but I guess before you you know heard of of him through your bikini waxer what kind of where were you at mentally with kind of having kids had you decided that you you know were you just like this is just me I this is kind of my life and what it's going to be like were you were you open or were you kind of in a in a way that you just thought actually maybe I'm just not going to be able to have kids I'm always quite I'm quite resilient and quite positive I think so I always I mean I was conscious of my age because mm-hmm. I actually didn't have really till I was 40 and I didn't have pipe till I was 43 so I knew I was on the sort of the the latter end of being able to have kids anyway I remember having the conversation with Ben who's obviously younger than me before we got serious and I remember saying yeah. that what if I can't how important are kids for you but what if I can't have kids? So I think I was always like, I don't know if I'll be able to. And he was brilliant and said, look, I want to be with you. I'm not, it's not about the kids. Yeah. So if we do, brilliant. He was probably more reluctant than me to keep trying, I think, after we miscarried twice. Because I think more because he saw what it did to me and he exactly. didn't, and he, but I was like, no, we've got to give it another go. We've got, you know, I think I would have probably tried a couple more times and then yeah. who knows. Uh, there would have been a point where I'd have said, look, maybe we need to sort of because you don't want to be sort of chasing something to the detriment of your relationship that then that becomes the only thing that you're thinking about but you know I I'd always thought I would have kids and I couldn't imagine not having kids so I guess I would have had to reframe my brain at a certain point but but I was quite sort of 
power through. Yeah. And when you had Piper, was that easier to get pregnant the second time? No, it's still, well, it, I never had a problem getting pregnant, fortunately. Yeah. I, it, it was, was just keeping, more, it was yeah. keeping the baby. So, um, and I did actually have a miscarriage in between Ridley and Piper, but that was just a, and I still was going to the doctor, but, and so that was quite hard because I thought, oh, I thought this miracle doctor was going to cure everything. Yeah. But that was just a norm, you know, you do have miscarriages if there's something that is not quite right. And that was just a normal, you know, and, it, and that was when Ben was like, look, we've got Ridley, we don't need to. And I was like, no, we're going to carry on. And, yeah, you know, thank going. God we did. <laughs> yeah. And it, you're right. It's so important to be open about this because I think women can often feel so alone and that they're the only one going through it and it's only their body that's doing this. And they need to know that other people have been through it and understand kind of what's out there. And I guess, you know, it, it's not nice to think about this and you kind of answered it already, but, you know, if you hadn't have tried this therapy and met this doctor, you know, do you, do you think you would have been someone that would have tried a million and one other things? I mean, you don't want to think about it because you wouldn't no. have had the children that you had, but, you know, how defining has that moment been for you? Oh, massively, massively, because I don't know how it might have really knocked me emotionally you know I say I'm resilient but you kind of only are to a certain point aren't you and it might have affected mm -hmm. our relationship I know people who've been in relationships and you know they've been so or one of them has been so obsessed with trying to have kids and it's not and it not working that it's then affected that you know it's not it's kind of it's a bit clinical and not a very kind of loving way to be in a relationship when you're really trying to think of the time of the month yeah. and all these sort of scientific things so I think it can have you know, it can have quite a damaging effect on relationships. So who knows what that could have done, you know? So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's horrible to think about, but it's like, it's brilliant that it managed to happen at the same time. Yeah. And the moral of the story is always be open with your beauty therapist because you yes. never know where it's going to lead. <laughs> yeah. Always talk to them about everything. <laughs> everything. Um, and I mean, this is another moment of meeting someone else. So your third moment is, um, if you'd never met Natasha Devon MBE through doing her new book, we'd never have started uh, the mental health campaign for Bauer. Where's your head at? Um, so again, someone else that came into your life, uh, that had such a large impact. So explain how you met Natasha and how meeting her led to kind of pushing this campaign forward. So Natasha Devon um, is a body campaigner and a mental health campaigner. And she'd actually been um, somebody, who, uh, Laura, who works on our style desk, had recommended her to me when we were doing something around body image for heat. And we'd got her on air, went for heat radio, and she was just such a brilliant talker and just so just so eloquent and just, just, you know, amazing to listen to. And then I ended up sort of connecting with her on email. And then she said she had a book coming out because she was a mental health campaigner and she wanted to talk to me about it. And then I, and wanted to talk to me about press coverage. And then we met for lunch and I remember us just chatting and me sort of thinking mental health is such a big issue. And this was like years ago, three, four years ago now. And I just remember thinking it was such a, a I felt it was going to be such a big issue for all of our audiences across all of our brands, but we'd never really asked them how they felt. And, and, and we, so between us, we sort of said, there's something bigger than just us covering your book and doing press for your book. There's some kind yeah. of campaign that I feel like we should do. And we talked about what was kind of, obviously she was, you know, she knew what was going on in terms of government and legislation. And she said, you know, that it was kind of mental health at work was a big, big issue. And, um, she'd done stuff with Mental Health First Aid England and there was a, and I'd never even heard of Mental Health First Aiders at the time, but they, yeah. they championed and campaigned for Mental Health First Aiders. And so when, you know, when we talked about it, we were like, it's ridiculous that every business has a 
physical first aider. So if you cut yourself, you know that who the first aider is on your floor in your office and you'll go and they'll just call the hospital or whatever or wait yeah. with you. Or if you faint, they'll sit with you. But mental health first aiders are there for your for your brain. And if you're feeling anxious or you're... And actually, it seems such a simple idea that it just seems so obvious that we decided that we would campaign for it to be mandatory for every workplace and college to have mental health first aiders so we did it um I had to check that we had some at Bauer before I began yeah and we had seven um but they were all in HR which is just ridiculous because you don't really want to tell HR when you're feeling like that exactly um, so and now we've got 60 so amazing of, so and it's not anyone who wants to be you know anyone who's kind of interested in just helping people or and they're trained you have to do a two-day training course so we campaigned we did loads of content across all of our brands where we got celebrities to open up about their mental health we got business leaders to talk about it and to sign this petition we took the petition to government um and it should have really been a no-brainer that we just got it made into law but it doesn't yeah. happen quite as simply as that what it did do we got we made a change to the workplace and mental health guidelines but it's still not satisfactory as far as I'm concerned and I think it I think when we have potentially a change of government they might do something I think the issue is has been that they don't want to force businesses to pay to have mental health first aiders they say that they want them to but they yeah. don't they're not making it mandatory still a long way to go I still think that they need to be but from our business point of view it's really sort of shone a light on mental health in the work in our workplace and like I said we've now got 60 mental health first aiders and so people know that if they're feeling low or anything or they're worried about any of their work colleagues they know that they can call confidentially call or, or go and speak to one of our mental health first aiders who aren't the, you know they're not there to solve the problem but they're there to signpost where to go in the same way that physical yeah. first aiders are exactly and I guess are you with a lot of things that you do? I'm guessing. I'm guessing you're a very kind of like doer. Like you know, yeah. you get an idea and you run with it, which is brilliant. And with this, when you kind of had, had first met Natasha, is it that you got just a gut feeling that this was something that you had to do? Yeah. Is that is that what you do when you kind of really follow through with a campaign? Yeah, I just felt it was right. And then we did do research across our audiences, and they all like 85, 90 percent of them were worried about. And, worried about their mental health that they didn't like I think there was a, an overwhelming statistic of people that said that they'd rather tell their boss they had diarrhea than tell them that they were feeling oh anxious God, yeah. and it just showed That's that true. there was this and now it's the, the the climate has changed so much I think people are much more vocal about that and they talk mm -hmm. about it a lot more um so it's it's good because it's a lot more open in that respect so people are people are more open and honest in the workplace. And I think that's helped to do that in some way. Um, and I'm glad to say that, that you know, people talk about their mental health so much more than they have yeah. used to. But, but yeah, it was just a, a, just a sort of sense that I had. And, and I really connected with her and really believed in her. And we, you know, we, we kind of very much were on the same page together and, and kind of campaigning. So, and I guess, you know, with this moment specifically, if you had... I think what's really interesting is if you hadn't have, you know, spearheaded this, pushed it forward, it's not how it would have impacted your life necessarily, but it's all the other lives that you've you've helped so far. And is that what kind of feels like the sliding doors moment for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the fact that I know, I don't know how many people we might have helped or how even listening to a celebrity talk about it and seeing a video that that might have impacted someone or helped them. But there's one instance that that really sort of, um, has kind of affected me and that's when this was part of our mental health campaign because obviously we do stuff every year we did a campaign called pledge kindness in the pandemic which was just encouraging people to sort of pledge an act of kindness to someone in the UK and there was a um, somebody in Liverpool 
went into a cafe as part of our campaign because she was like, I'm going to just do something nice. Just a bad amount of kindness. Went into this cafe in Liverpool. It was a, a, a kind of solo business and obviously lots of businesses were suffering in the pandemic. She went in, bought everyone in the cafe breakfast and then the cafe owner sent me a message on Instagram just said, I just want to say thanks for your campaign because um, this girl came in, bought everyone breakfast and then that sent a ripple effect throughout the whole day so that somebody else bought another table cupcakes yeah. and then that person did something else something else she said not only did it make a massive difference to my business because obviously we were kind of struggling mm-hmm. but it was just such a feel-good day and everyone felt amazing and that kind of almost made that was like that's kind of that really it made me well up when she sent that and I just thought of all the celebrities I've interviewed all these so different true. things that's such a that means more than than that. Yeah, it's the smaller, you know, you can ask anyone what you're most proud of and it's those small things. As you said, this was your proudest thing so far. And I think it's it's so needed in our daily lives and it's a brilliant campaign. And thank you for putting it together because as I said, like you're helping the lives and you will continue with everything that you do. Um, thank you. And Lucy, I literally could chat to you for so long. There's so many other questions I want to ask you, mainly about things to do with like smash hits and back in the day, but we're going to have to leave it there. But thank you for being so open and honest about everything, for sharing all your brilliant stories. Um, It's been so lovely to hear them from you. Um, And yeah, just keep doing what you're doing because it's brilliant. Thank you for having me. It's been quite mad reliving some of those moments, but but amazing and also makes me realise, oh, I'm glad I said yes to all of those things and put myself out there because my life would be completely different otherwise. Totally. Everyone put themselves out there. Um, Oh, thank you so much, Lucy. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.